This is the Fitzy and Whipper with Kate Ritchie podcast. This is fascinating. Gary Jubilant is one of the country's most respected homicide detectives. Um, Gary's worked across the armed, hold-up squad, organised crime squad, gang squad, unsolved homicide, homicide squad. He retired in 2019, but um, Gary's got some great podcasts out there and he's got a new one called Breaking Badness. It's available now on the Daily Telegraph website or wherever you get your good podcasts from. And he joins us now. Thanks for coming in, Gary. Hello, Gary. Welcome. Um, Thanks Gary, very much. You know what's interesting? There's so much and so many questions and topics we want to talk to you about. When you talk about breaking badness, the first question, because of the people you've dealt with and come across in your career, can you, and often you see these articles written, can you see a, pers- a consistent personality trait in some of the bad people you've come across? There are quite often, and like you, you have different degrees of badness. There's some people that there's there's no hope for. Born bad and will be bad for the yep. rest of their life. But what I've found, and the, I've been able to, since I've left the police, be able to look at it from a different perspective. And what I've found is that the upbringing in the environment that people grew up, like a lot of people in prison, if you grew up in that environment, yeah. well, we'd probably all, all end up there. So yep. I think that plays a part. But, you know, I worked very closely with a forensic psychologist, Dr. Sarah Yule, when I was mm-hmm. in the police, and she was always at pains to point out to me, just because someone does a bad thing doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. Yeah. And if you adopt that sort of approach, I think you get a more realistic take sure. on the type of people sure. that uh, we see, you know, see in the headlines, they've done bad things but what's the circumstances leading up to it right yeah, which okay. chapter of their life are they in, mm-hmm. in yeah you know yeah. what what are the things that are affecting them at, at that moment yeah definitely i know this is a this is going to sound like a very crazy question but in relation to the work you do and the, the crime scenes you've been to and the cases you've been involved with is there kind of one particular area or one particular genre of crime mm. that you I'm trying to find a, a better word than enjoy, but is there are there cases where you think oh, this is where I'm at my best, I, or this is you know yeah. I enjoy this the most kind yeah. of thing? And when, when you're talking about homicide, I, I take the word no exactly, and that's <laughs> why I'm struggling yeah. to ask the question. No, I what I what I and it, this sounds a bit like a, I, I've become too numb to it. Where you say there's some straightforward murders where it's like tracking an elephant through the snow. You go to the crime <laughs> scene and you go, okay, well we know what's happened here, stupid, and you go yep. uh, go lock the person up. What I found is that the more, and I learnt every day that I came to work, the more experience I got, the the challenge was the difficult ones. Mm. So that's what inspired me. The the ones that you know, had been written off, the ones that you know, mm. you weren't meant to solve, that the skills that not just yourself but the team, because it's always a team uh, a team effort uh, solving a murder that you could bring those skills to the table and you actually make a difference. So they're the ones that in, inspired me. The gangland type killings, like I did a lot of you know, the bikey type stuff, yeah. I still find motivation on those ones. But when there's you know, someone that's not because of their lifestyle, nothing other than they're in the wrong place at the wrong time of victims, you, you get there's a lot to be inspired for and, and driven to make sure you solve uh, those type of investigations. Uh, one of your most high-profile cases was the, is the William Tyrrell case, and you worked on that for quite a while, Gary. Um, I want to ask you... Uh, I know you can't talk about it too much, yeah. but w- with your 
with your position, there'd be a lot of gut feel that you get, Gary. You've got to mm. go with your gut. And you, you would have seen you would have been so immune over the years and watching body language and, and watching things. What I want to, I've always wanted to ask you this question. Deep down in your gut, do you know what happened to William Tyrrell? I've got, uh, I led the investigation for four years. So I took it af- over after about four or five months after William's disappearance. So to say I've got no idea would be, you know, a bit uh, concerning. Yep. I certainly, I, I put it this way. There's things when I, I'm looking at persons of interest, let's call them persons of interest, yep. red flags that present themselves. Right. And the yes. way, you, way you go through a homicide investigation is just eliminate, prioritise and eliminate the suspects one at a time. Yes. Yep. I can't say definitively I know who's done it because it's a matter that hasn't been before the court. But I certainly had ideas on it when I was taken off and, you know, we're beating around the bush. I was taken off the investigation in controversial and dramatic circumstances. It was overnight removed from the investigation. What concerned me is that I thought I had the investigation pointed in uh, in a healthy direction that we yep. might have been able to resolve it. I can't say definitively we would be able to resolve it. Where the Tyrrell investigation's gone since I've been taken off the investigation, I've spoken publicly about it. I don't want to be critical because I haven't been on the investigation since that time. I haven't had any involvement. But I've seen some things that have really concerned me and the way it's been played out in public of, uh, you know, over the past 18 months and uh, one suspect has been nominated and you know, the, the media have been briefed on certain developments on it. I can't. That does not sit comfortable with me. I, right. I think. I think we need to have this resolved. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of rumour that comes from information being released, and we need it. Uh, need it resolved. The thing that gets lost in the controversy about the William Tyrrell matter, and I, I say that, and I'm involved in the controversy, so it's not me standing from yes. the outside, is that what's forgotten is this young child has disappeared and we still haven't got answers for it. And the police, the New South Wales police, should be judged by their actions and, uh, you know, if the way it's playing out, perhaps there needs to be an inquiry about what's happened with the investigation. But uh, I'm still hopeful that answers will come out. Mm. It's been before the coroner for years and years. Hopefully the coroner comes back soon and gives it some some direction. This investigation over every other investigation I've worked on, you sneeze, and if it's to do with William Tyrrell, it's on the front page of the paper and the the lead story. Why? I I think because people can relate to a three-year-old child playing at his grandparents' place and just disappearing. That's a safe place. These type of things don't happen. So Mm, I think... And then that uh, iconic picture of William in his Spider-Man suit just shortly before he disappeared. So Mm. I think it resonates with all of us. Mm. So I understand the media's appetite to it. The new podcast, Breaking Badness, you're talking about Breaking Badness and the prison system here in Australia. What is it working, Gary? Um, do, we, do these guys go in and come out more hardened criminals or is it doing the right thing at the moment? Well, if you look at the recidivism rate in this state... Recidivism. And pro- uh, uh, like recidivism as in go into jail, come out and yep. end up back in jail. Right. But yes. since I've left the police and doing the podcast and, and speaking to people from a different perspective... I've, I've started to learn that, you know, if you treat people a certain way in prison, the, the likelihood is when they come out, they're going to reoffend. And uh, yeah. I spoke to some senior corrective services officers, and they pointed me to the direction of what they're doing at Macquarie Correctional Centre, which is a jail with a little bit more innovative. They give the prisoners freedoms that they don't get in the more
more traditional mm-hmm. prisons, and they create a um, a social environment where the prisoners have got to get on. They live in dorms. Now, this is a maximum security prison. When they first told me there's 25 prisoners, they're all living in a dorm. Oh, Max, I thought the recipe for disaster, but it works. And instead of resolving things in the traditional prison way, which you know would end up in, in tears and someone severely injured, if not dead. They mediate, they resolve things, and wow. uh, they discuss. Wow. Works. And, and rewards? You get rewards, Gary? Like they get rewards if they do certain things? Yeah, they, they flipped it a little bit. They give them the rewards when they come into the prison, and then mm. they take the rewards off if they misbehave. And there, there's a um, you know, policy of no violence, so if, you, if you're involved in, in conflict, you're out. So yep. you've got these hardened prisoners sitting down and debating. Like, in the, in the actual dorms, if they don't like someone... They have a have a meeting and they virtually get voted off. It's like being voted off Love Island. Oh, <laughs> wow. exactly the same. Wow. Look, I see Prison the, Island. I yeah. see the merit in what you're talking about, but because I absolutely, you know, I, yeah. I, I agree when I'm sitting here speaking with you. But then, of course, there is a whole part of the population. Sometimes people who have been affected by you know yeah. acts of crime, and they think, well, this person who did this to my family or my son or my daughter, they don't deserve these things. But I guess that's losing sight of what rehabilitation is meant to be about. Well, Kate, your concern was my concern. When I was invited into the prison, I thought, OK, what, what's this? Is the wool being pulled over my eyes? Have I gone soft? What, what's happened? And I wanted to get perspective from a victim. So I spoke to Ken Marslu. Ken Marslu's son was uh, killed in an armed robbery. He was shot by a shotgun working at Pizza Hut, 19 years old. Oh now, if anyone's got a right to be angry at uh, you know, yep. people that commit crime, it's Ken. That was a long time ago, 20 years ago. Ken's changed his views, and uh, we're, we're quite uh, close, Ken, Ken and I. And I got his opinion on that. Mm. What Because you want to get, what would the public think? Why are we For going sure. soft on these? His point was, you're not going soft on crime, you're being smart on crime. And if you reduce recidivism, as in reduce people committing mm-hmm. crime when they come out, that reduces victims. So that's a smart play. And that's, that's what they're, they're trying to do at Macquarie. And I've got to say, I think what they're doing in there makes a lot of mm. sense. I'd prefer to be living next door to a prisoner that came out of Macquarie Correctional yeah, Centre than living in someone more traditional prison. Gary, we could talk to you all day. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. And if you want to go check out Gary's new podcast, Breaking Badness, it's available now on the Daily Telegraph uh, website or wherever you get your good podcast from, mate. We appreciate you being so open with us, Gary, and we'd love to get you back in again soon, buddy. Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, appreciate Gary. it. See you. Fits in Whipper with Kate Ritchie is a Nova podcast. For more great shows like this, download the Nova Player via the App Store or Google Play. The Nova Player.